Welcome to the Experts Only podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital, where we explore the intersection of energy, innovation and finance. Our host is Clean Capital's co-founder and former Federal Chief Sustainability Officer, John Powers. Learn how Clean Capital is revolutionizing clean energy finance and find more episodes at cleancapital.com, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us here on Clean Capital's expert-only podcast. Really excited to have you on. I'd love if you could start off by talking to the audience about your personal journey in this space. How did you end up where you are? Thank you, John. And it is such a privilege to be talking with you and to be on this podcast. Wow, my, my journey. Well, you know, I'm currently serving as the president of the Business Council for Sustainable Energy, and the council is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, really an amazing milestone. Um, But I got involved with the energy industry after graduate school in the late 1990s. I had been working in the policy space, mostly in Washington, D.C., as an aide to Congress and had been working on a whole host of non-energy and environmental environmental related uh, topics. So education, healthcare, you know, again, not in the energy and environment space. And when I went to graduate school, I had made a choice that I wanted to work on global uh, economic issues, trade policy. Um, and I got uh, to know a number of people that were working in the energy space. And one of The papers that was written by a friend of mine that I reviewed as our thesis for graduate school was on environmental economics and emissions trading. And after reading that, you know, I it was clear to me that the world was moving in new ways and could capture these amazing attributes if we just had financial models that would value them. So when I left graduate school, I wanted to combine my interest in global issues, trade policy, and now my newfound interest in environmental economics. And I wanted to work on global climate change issues. And that's how I got involved in the energy industry, mostly working for renewable energy, energy efficiency, and natural gas sectors. And that's who the Business Council represents today. So it's a perfect fit for me. Yeah. So tell the audience a little bit about the Business Council. First of all, congratulations on 25 years. That's amazing. And, you know, the first time I met you was when I was working at the White House as the chief sustainability officer of the federal government. And you would come in with the council and talk to us about a lot of things that are happening in the industry. So talk a little bit about the the Business Council's mission uh, and then how do you go about uh, implementing that mission? Sure. So the council's focus is to promote policies that expand markets broadly for energy efficiency, natural gas, and renewable energy. So kind of the clean energy portfolio. And really, these are the growth sectors of the U.S. energy economy today. And if you look around the world, that's where the trends are, too. This broad portfolio um, can serve the needs of our power system and our energy system at large very affordably and in a reliable fashion. And very importantly to the business council with low carbon and low um, air pollutant emissions. The council is a unique coalition because we represent so many different businesses. I mean, in any one sector, even just looking at solar, you've got many different uh, business models that make up the supply chain. So now take that and include all the renewable technologies and then add on the supply side and demand side efficiency industries and then the natural gas 
industries and you have, you know, really a group of people that might not see eye to eye on on many things. But in fact, they do when it comes to the policy space. They want to see market based approaches that provide a value for the services they provide and that recognize the environmental attributes of what they offer offer to customers around the globe. So we work together to identify where we have a common interest in the policy space, and primarily that's federal policy, though we do work at the state level, and I know we might want to talk a little bit about that in a few moments, but we identify where we have common interest, and then we map out strategies to talk to the policymakers that will be influencing those topics. And, you know, as I said, we've been together as this broad-based coalition for over two decades, and we've had a good number of successes. And I think when you look at the actual data and the market growth across efficiency, renewables, and natural gas, it shows that when you have policy clarity and a long-term vision, you know, you can have a really impressive deployment. Well, that's interesting. I mean, one of the things we're really focused on at this podcast is to help educate folks, not just the true believers, but folks who may not fully understand the market on, you know, why the clean energy is not only here to stay, but it's we've we've evolved as an industry. And you know, I really love the fact that you talk about it as the growth sector of the U.S. economy. So, in this current political environment, you know, uh, both of us living here in Washington D.C. You know, there's obviously a constant back and forth right now uh, within this administration, but just in general. You know, how do you take your message uh, into this political climate and what kind of reception are you receiving to that message? Well, I think, again, always starting with the facts helps. And, you know, the facts aren't always in your favor, right? You have to be willing to look at the world as it is, understanding where your strengths are and where you can improve. But right now, when it comes to efficiency, renewables and natural gas, and especially when you pull them all together in a portfolio, there are very significant uh, benefits and we are clearly uh, on the rise in the marketplace. So it's very hard to dismiss that kind of a portfolio when it comes to talk to you. So um, if you're a policymaker, whether you're within the Trump administration or in Congress or at the state and local level, you know, if you can show that you have significant um, growth and significant jobs and economic benefit, uh, then you're going to at least be listened to. And I think for us, you know, it's not really an ideological um, conversation. It's really about the market changes that are occurring and how to ensure opportunity for new technologies to participate in markets and that the market structures that we have, which you know have many layers, often were put together and adopted in a very different uh, era, uh, some going back you know, 20, 30, 40 years. So we really need to have a conversation across all levels of government about updating market rules that reflect you know, the current needs of, of our energy system and the needs that we're going to have going into the future. So it's, it's more about change than it is about ideology. And I think for especially the Trump administration, a lot of what businesses need are market-based um, fair systems, and that should be one you know set of arguments that is very compelling. Going back to your comment about uh, facts, you know, each year the Business Council for Sustainable Energy partners with Bloomberg New Energy Finance to publish a sustainable energy fact book. Uh, I personally uh, utilize this fact book; it's an incredible resource. 
really dives into the industry and talks about where it is today. Uh, this can be found at bcsc.org. Uh, if it's a it's a great reference for professionals, it's a great reference for policymakers, for advocates, and those looking to get educated on the industry. We share this. Uh, we actually share it out with folks uh, who are asking questions about where the industry is today. Um, so, talk a little bit about you know the history of the facts book. Uh, and then I was sort of want to dive in some of the stuff that came into the 2017 version. Thank you. And that's a very high endorsement. I'm really glad to know, John, that you're doing exactly what we hoped and you're sharing it far and wide. And again, it is all available for free. And uh, there are many tools on our website that can help you search it and help you you know, share this information in a very user-friendly manner. So I encourage everybody to check it out. And then if you have comments on how we can make it better, a chart you don't see that you wish were in there, or some kind of graphics or video you'd like us to produce to tell a story, please contact the Business Council. And you can contact me directly, Lisa Jacobson. I'd be happy to uh, get any input from those that might be listening to this podcast. But uh, you know, the reason for the fact book is quite... Um, you know, how a lot of ideas come about. We, we were sitting around um, the table of a board meeting planning for our 20th anniversary, so going back a few years, and we had been working for a, a good number of years with Bloomberg New Energy Finance informally, and one of their analysts was sharing, you know, information about the market and, you know, what they were seeing in terms of current trends and future trends and number of us looked at each other and said, well, this is really terrific. They've got some great data in a few areas, but you know, they really aren't talking about or capturing information about many other sectors that, you know, while they might be small today, are going to play a very large role going into the future. And it, anything from combined heat and power to fuel cells to um, understanding the broad portfolio of the renewable technologies. So there was a lot of good information on wind and solar, but not so much on things like hydro, which is quite amazing given you know that hydro is such a dominant renewable energy technology. But nonetheless, there wasn't a lot of tracking of hydropower, uh, you know, waste to energy, geothermal, biomass. Uh, you know, there was a lot of gaps there. And then on the you know whole kind of energy efficiency suite of technologies, they were tracking smart meters, but they really weren't tracking much else. So, you know, whether that and then on natural gas, we were in the midst of this big transformation. And, and while um, they had natural gas analysts, they weren't knitting it all together. So we decided to partner with them and build out the Sustainable Energy in America Factbook. And what it does is it provides, you know, very tight, neat, easy to understand view of what's going on, uh, big picture. But then it also has many industry specific sections where you can get up to speed on these technologies that I said are that are, you know, kind of relatively small now, but are poised to grow. I think about uh, sustainable transportation electric vehicles or batteries, and then the whole storage movement. I mean, those were really in their infancy when we first started the fact book. And I'm so glad we started when we did, because now, you know, the data is quite significant. And we all know that those are, you know, extremely uh, topical technology areas that people want to understand. Yeah, I, lo I love the breadth of the fact book. One of the things, if if you're new to the industry, people think about clean energy. Maybe they think about technology. They do think about wind and solar. But you know, if you don't understand everything from green buildings to meters to energy efficient HVACs to 
biomass to fuel cells on the production side, or skip that to the generate to the transportation side, electric vehicles, um, you know, fuel cell vehicles. There's so much moving across the spec the spectrum that I think people can feel lost. And when you dive into the fact book, it really gives you a good sense of where each of those areas are. And you get to understand what's emerging. I think you know people have talked about the holy grail of storage for a decade. Well, storage is coming to reality today in, in, a, in a whole new way. Uh, at, clean energy, at Clean Capital, we focus right now on solar projects. I think you know our mission is to bring more capital to bear to clean energy as a whole, though. So we'll be moving into other verticals in the future. But I do want to focus on solar for a second. And and as you know, you know the, the industry has really grown. Uh, over the last decade, but you know the bulk of our solar projects have come online within the last five years. You know, 35 gigawatts between 2012 and 2016, and a lot of this has happened as the cost of these installations have fell. The price of the panels, uh, better efficiency in the industry. Can you talk a little bit about you know what you guys have discovered and what you've seen over the course of doing the fact book? Uh, and the, the response to policymakers as you talk to them about this? Well, thank you. And I think I'll go back to this policy message because when you look at the growth of solar, um, and especially when you contrast that with other technologies in the renewable space, you really see the benefit of consistent policy that will then therefore guide investment. And when you look back just you know five, six years when the ITC, the investment tax credit that solar can benefit from, as well as a number of other technologies, got its five-year life span, you started to see in all the charts, you know, kind of a steady uptick in growth in solar. And we're still building on that today. Um, For other technologies that have benefited from tax measures, you know, sometimes they've been very start stop. And you really also can see the, the boom and bust that comes with it. And I'm thinking, very particularly about the wind industry and the production tax credit. And if you go back over the last 10, 15 years, you'll see very clearly where it had a two-year extension. And then, you know, there was a period of time where there was uncertainty and then deployment dropped off and it's just boom, bust, boom, bust. And it's very, very clear. And then when you, so when the fact book enables you to do is, is really track these things together and see what underlies, you know, that dynamic. So, the fact book, and it's, so it's not just for renewables. I mean, we have seen dramatic improvements in energy efficiency over the last 10, 15 years. And you can, you see our energy productivity gains. So our um, growth versus energy consumption, you know, we're really decoupling between our growth and our energy use. So energy use is basically flat, but we've still experienced growth as a country. And so you see charts where we're really going in those different directions and it's quite remarkable. So then you wonder, okay, well, what's underpinning that? And if you go to the energy efficiency section, whether it be investment by utilities or investment um, in the private sector, whether it be policy leadership on things like building codes or um, you know other energy efficiency measures like energy efficiency resource standards. If you look back at that same time period where our energy productivity has increased, you see kind of hockey stick charts across the board in terms of investment or policy leadership and energy efficiency. So policy and the impact of clear, sustained policy uh, comes to light when you look at the data. Yeah, that data is so important. And I think for policymakers right now, uh, there is so, you know there's so many uh, interesting and uh, 
polar opposite messages out there for them to listen to. But when you put the facts in front of them, it's hard for them to to debate it. When you look at you know specifically the investment side of this, you know, 2015 set an all-time record with over 63 billion dollars in investment in clean energy. That fell slightly in 2016 to down to 50, almost 59 billion, about seven percent decline. You know. Some of that is caused by a drop in the public market funding as, as companies in the solar space, for instance, began to look into other avenues. But talk a little bit about what you've seen on the investment side of clean energy and you know where you guys think it's going. Well, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I think a lot of the uptick in 2015 was to capture the tax benefits that were set to expire at the end of that year. And then yeah. at the very end of the year, they got um, extended for a number of years, another longer term extension for just solar, unfortunately, in the ITC. It's a big challenge when we have uh, policy leadership in one technology area, but not in a more fuel neutral or technology neutral fashion. And certainly for the renewables industries, this has been a big challenge. But we're just for, talking just for, solar just for background for our, our listeners and what that means. So basically, the investment tax credit, which is a 30% tax credit on the construction of projects, solar, but other projects as well was set to expire, meaning all the projects had to be built in the ground operating by December 31st, 2016. And in December 2015, during some major negotiations around the budget uh, and some other uh, significant, a major bill happened in Congress, there was a late night negotiation that uh, really brought together clean energy tax credits, both for wind and solar, uh, it really tied it to oil exports. So you had a bipartisan support from the Republican and Democratic side. It was a at midnight negotiation, and the bill came out the next morning. Uh, but that was game changing for the industry because it really helped provide the policy uh, stability that Lisa's been talking about. As as uh, not just the developers and the builders, but the financiers said, "Okay, this is here to stay going forward." Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I thought no, it was no, that was excellent. Thank you for giving that background, and you know, you were on the front lines of that at the time, as as a number of us were. So it was really important for the growth of the solar industry to have that kind of stability. So um, while there was tremendous pressure to move projects in late 2015, anticipating the um, expiration of the credit the following year, um, when you know, you, you have that relief, you know, the market responds. So the urgency is, is off. So I'm not suggesting that that's the whole story, but it certainly, I think, is part of the story. And now we had, you know, kind of a glide path over the next five years, starting in 2016, that could enable, you know, uh, steady investment and a pipeline to be built. And I think that's what we're seeing today. So, Without us having an overarching federal energy policy in the U.S., right, or, or maybe an ever ever changing federal energy policy, you know, as the industries have grown and they matured, you know, so much of this is uh, is integrated at the state level, whether it be in engagement with the utilities and the public utility commissions, state level, re, you know, renewable portfolio standards, uh, it may seem archaic. Uh, Policies like net metering, right? This is just a state level fight on so many so many levels. How does your message change, or how does the, how do your partners with BCSE take their message to the state level folks, and how does that differ from what they're talking to the federal folks about? Well, as you as you noted, a lot of the policy making uh, is really at the state and local level for the power sector, and I, I think the the main messages are the same. I think it's 
they care what what public utility commissioners and mayors and governors and, and all the others that are involved at the state level care about is number one, safe, reliable and affordable electricity for their citizens. And they also understand the connection between having uh, you know, safe, affordable, reliable um, electricity to fuel uh, their economic growth at the state and regional level. What has been a, a more recent phenomenon, let's say, you know, in the last 20 years, has been an interest in making sure that not only are we addressing air quality concerns so that our um, air emissions, you know, in partnership with federal policy are going down, but also addressing climate change and other sustainability issues, whether that be water or land policy. So they're beginning to factor in a more comprehensive view of what kind of uh, electricity and energy resources they want to have for their states or localities. So for us, it's really a lot of the same messages. It's education. Number one, people aren't as familiar with the technologies that we represent. And they also probably are not familiar with kind of their standing in the marketplace, how much they have grown in just a very short number of years. So it's really getting them up to speed on the current situation in the power sector. And once they know, oh, okay, well, I didn't know that my neighboring states were doing a lot of demand response or right. they're using um, energy storage with renewables in a new way. That's interesting. Um, once they get, you know, it, just like the, the financial community, they're, they don't want to take risks. And especially when it, again, involves the safety or reliability of providing electricity to their citizens. So they take that role very seriously, but they don't always know um, where the technology or the marketplace is in the current environment when we've experienced so much change so recently. Yeah, it seems at the state level, they don't have the resources that the federal policymakers have, right? Whether it be the, the renewable energy labs or other places they can tap into, which makes this message uh, and I think the messengers you bring to the table that much more important, right? When you can bring them facts, tell them what, you know, if you're in Pennsylvania, what they're doing in New York, what they're doing in, in New Jersey, what they're doing in Massachusetts, uh, so they can learn and, and many times adopt some of those policies that are working. Yes. And I, I think the other it really can't say enough affordability and cost. You know, the, the two big questions we get are, are you reliable and what do you cost? Because people think that these technologies are much more expensive than other options. And in some cases that may be true, but, you know, what we found in the, in the marketplace is that, in fact, you know, wind and solar and, and a number of energy efficiency, natural gas. I mean, we're breaking the records in terms of cost reductions. And when you look even without subsidies, you know, these technologies are very competitive in many parts of the country. So, I mean, I can give you some specific examples, but I think bottom line, you know, people have a lot, very outdated view of what the cost of different technologies are. So a lot of our education is really showing the data to them, showing them, um, you know, what power purchase agreement prices are, where they've been and where they've progressed for different technologies, you know, showing them what the levelized cost of different technologies are so they can see that they don't have just one or two options. They might have 10 or 15 options. And then this has to be factored into the planning process, usually multi-year planning process that goes through the public utility commissions in most parts of the country. So, it, you know, there's a bit of a lag between the education and then getting that 
you know, baked into the planning and then the ultimate procurements that um, the customers will see on the on the other side. So I challenge our audience to go go to bcsc.org, and you can you know both to educate yourself, uh, skim through and read the fact book. If, if you want to educate others, there's just great resources there to do it. Uh, and feel free, obviously, to reach out to the business council because they they're doing an amazing job. Uh, helping to educate folks across the country on the importance of a uh, sustainable energy future. So I'm going to ask you a final question, Lisa, that I, I ask all our, uh, uh, all our interviewees, and it's about your career. So if you could go back, uh, you've established an incredible, incredible career in the space, and if you could, could sit down with yourself coming out of high school or even college, uh, what advice would you give yourself today? Oh, that's a good question. And I have a 11-year-old and 14-year-old daughter, so I'm just beginning to start thinking about these things for them. Right. Um, I think the one of the things that, first of all, take risks. I mean, don't, when people tell you no, if it's something you want, don't listen to them. Because certainly, you know, I think back at, at different circumstances in my early career or in college, you know, people told me no. And, you know, luckily I found other routes and I had enough confidence in myself to say, well, that may be their choice, but it's not mine. So um, don't let people tell you no, especially when you're you know, just starting something. Um, and then second, internships were so helpful to me and seeking out the positive. So again, there may be people that, that tell you no, but there'll probably be people that are encouraging you to. So gravitate towards the positive, push the negative away, and focus on the positive. And then finally, you know, you never know where life is going to take you and you need to be open to that. I, I would have had, if you had asked me at 25, if I'd be working on energy and environmental issues, I would have said, no, you know, that's where your career is going to be, Lisa. I would have said, right. really, that's surprising. So you just never know where the world will take you. And, um, you never know what relationships you make and, you know, how they're going to, you know, influence things going forward. So, I already said that was my final comment, but I guess my final comment is, you know, always appreciate and respect the relationships that you make because someone you may meet at one period of time could be really helpful and important later on that you may never have anticipated that. So again, just be really mindful about the relationships that you make and very respectful of them uh, because, you know, they may be your partner 15, 20 years later. That's great advice. Something I definitely want to share with my own kids. I mean, I same thing. If I look back at myself when I was coming out of college, was an elementary education major going in the army, I never thought I'd end up sort of being where I am today. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the incredible work that the Business Council is doing, and uh, we're honored to have you join us on Clean Capital's Experts Only podcast. Oh, thank you, John. Congratulations to all the work and all that you're contributing to the markets as well. Thank you so much.